and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to Gene Code. We're also going to visit the graveyard to go visit our mom's grave. And then also, I guess, go to the genetic opera to see Blind Mag. And, you know, just uh, be spooky and gothic, I guess. With all that being said, on today's episode, we're going to be covering a little movie from 2008 called Repo, the genetic opera, or Repo, the genetic opera, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Because there is an exclamation point. Um, So that's why I had to do my dramatic reading. But anyway, (laughs) but, uh, you know, my history with this film is uh, I'm pretty sure I saw it probably back in 2009, probably, you know, I was like, I was interested in the theater at some point, you know, I went to fucking college for it. But uh, at some point, you know, I I became interested in in pursuing, you know, theater in high school or, or, you know, that kind of thing. And so came across this, this movie, uh, Repo the Genetic Opera. And by this point, I had already seen Rocky Horror. So I was already familiar with that. And so this was just kind of like, uh, oh, okay, like, this is kind of like that a little bit and then also finding out that there's like this following behind it and whatever it is right so that was all cool and everything so i watched it probably back then for the first time and i haven't really like revisited it a whole lot the reason i'm covering it on the show in particular is that it is celebrating its 15 year anniversary this year um from 2008 um it came out earlier earlier in the month of november Uh, i'm just you know i was i had other stuff to do that uh earlier in the month so you know but i'm getting around to it now i thought it would be a good little episode to do um and i mean my general thoughts on the movie i mean listen i mean i uh i will say that for me at least i gave it like a two and a half really i think there's some there's some good stuff in here a little bit you know the aesthetics are really cool i guess you know um it it has a very unique uh, aesthetic if anything it's very very gothic very much that you know cyberpunk in a way i feel like a little bit too or, or something but overall i i just don't love the story necessarily i think there's a lot crammed into 98 minutes and also i mean it's not like i'm not a musical person necessarily i can watch a musical but again i uh i don't know i'm not like a huge hater of it i'm not like you know a one and a half star right but also like you know i'm also in the i'm also in the thought of like I don't know if I'd watch it again necessarily, but that's just me personally. Um, but uh, with all that being said, though, uh, we're going to you know move into uh, just talk about some of the figures of the film, um, talking about how the movie came to be, really. And then also we'll talk about the plot, some of the characters, things like that. But without further ado, let's move on to those figures. So Repo the Genetic Opera was released November 7th of 2008, um, I think widely. I think it premiered a little earlier in the year um, at like a film festival, um, but it was released November 8th of 2008 in a limited release market. Um, I don't even think this went direct to DVD. I think it just opened in a couple theaters. It runtime of 98 minutes, and it was distributed by Lionsgate, uh, which is why we'll get into, obviously, the involvement of Darren Lynn Bowsman. But then we're looking at a budget of about eight and a half million dollars. So the opening weekend ranking gross for this movie was it placed 46 with 
$53,684. Domestically, it made $146,750. And then internationally, it made $41,376. Altogether, though, it made $188,126. So needless to say, I think this really was obviously a financial bomb. But the thing is, is that it wasn't a um, movie that... I don't know, like, they just kind of released it to certain markets. It's not like it was a wide release or anything like that at all. And it wasn't like it was, like, so direct to DVD. I guess it did become DVD, you know, it was released to where people could find it there. But also, I mean, it was kind of set up to, to quote, fail, if you will. Not really, though, but, like, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, though. So it makes sense why the numbers are abysmal in that way. Uh, for Rotten Tomatoes scores, we have a 37% from critics from about 59 reviews, and then a 73% from about 25,000 ratings from uh, people who've gone on the website and talked about if they like the movie or not. And I think this does have a certain cult following to it, of course. Um, and it has a 3.1 out of 5 on the Letterboxd. That's what we're looking at in terms of just that kind of thing. Now, when we're talking about the cast and the crew of this movie, and the crew in particular, so as I stated before, this was directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, and I really do think, if if it's my opinion, if anything, but um, I will say that I think that this was a movie that got made really because Darren Lynn Bowsman had made quite a bit of money for um, Lionsgate, being that he was a part of a lot of the Saw movies, especially those early ones, and uh, for those who may or may not know who were listening, I mean, Saw really was like, it was a huge franchise really it was very much like there was a saw you know for quite a few years there was a saw like every year you know it was kind of like friday the 13th in that way a little bit um where they would just like make them and they would make money you know so that's what lionsgate really really did and they were able to really kind of capitalize off of that which is you know i mean that's the business make your money i really do think that this was just something where they were able to to make this movie uh really because darren lynn bowsman made quite a bit of money for lionsgate um otherwise i don't think it would have gotten made with an 8.5 million dollar budget uh personally but darren lynn bowsman he did saw two and saw three and saw four he also did the mother's day remake in 2010 and i will also say so darren lynn bowsman also you know, maybe a little bit of creep behavior, allegedly, but, you know, just some of the things he's kind of said, um, like talking about, like, Alexa Vega being in, like, a skirt and, like, wanting her to, like, wanting her to, like, kind of show off a little bit. That was just, it was a little creepy. That's just my opinion, but, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you can find video. It's just, it's weird. Anyway, um, of him just kind of saying some creepy shit. Speaking of alleged creeps, or really kind of concrete creeps, maybe not Darren Smith as much. So Darren Smith and Ter- Terrence Zdunich, they are the writers, the co-writers of this movie. And we'll talk about them in a minute. I, I-, I will just firstly, first and foremost, say that, you know, um, Terrence Zdunich is sort of, uh, he is an alleged creep he's the guy and also darren smith i think he was involved with it too um they did the devil's carnival and hallelujah the devil's carnival as well so which is pretty much like after doing repo obviously yeah i don't think darren smith might be a creep but taryn's done it she's just there's just people there's speculation and um you know all of that out there 
of just his, I don't know, just of his conduct, if you will. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's weird because like, also like, I kind of thought like, this is just this is <laughs> my taste in men, I guess. But like, um, I thought like back in the day, I thought, um, the grave robber was kind of like hot a little bit, you know what I mean? I know I'm horrible that I say that, but yeah, it's true. But like, just finding out more about just some of his alleged weirdness. I'm just like, Ugh. and does that color your experience with the movie? You know, I think for some people it does. And I still kind of say, I really would still say like, it's not like this movie's that great in general, but it doesn't help where I'm just kind of like, Oh, Terrence Sedona, she's kind of a weirdo. That's unfortunate, you know, but he made some art. And again, we'll talk about how this has all got made and everything, but, uh, but yeah, that's what they did. Um, you know, they met, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Darren Smith is also the composer of this movie. He uh, was a part of doing that. It's really the only thing he's done in terms of music or composing. So, you know, not much to say there. Uh, cinematographer was Joseph White. So he also shot, like, Tales of Halloween, which is a little... Um, anthology movie you can find it like on tubi or like you can find it for free also mother's day from 2010 which was directed by darren lynn bowsman so it makes sense and then also silent night which i think is a really horrible uh christmas horror movie i think i think it's supposed to kind of be like a weird soft reboot of like silent night deadly night or something like that but who the fuck knows whatever but he shot that and then the editor is Harvey Rosenstock. So he, some of his editing credits, he did Flubber with Robin Williams. He did Curly Sue uh, from back in the 90s. And he also did the sequel to Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf 2. He also helped edit that as well. So, you know, those that's what he did. But he was brought into the fold with this. So then, in regards to our cast of characters, we have... Um, her name now is Alexa Pena Vega, but she was Alexa Vega at the time. And so what she was known for is being in the Spy Kids movie as the sister. I don't even remember her name in that, but like I, I remember watching those movies, though. Uh, her and Daryl Sabara. You know, her, her she was in that. Twister, um, good old Helen Hunt, and was it Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman? I think one of those. And then also Sleepover from 2004. Um also MLM person to question mark. Oh God, dear Lord. Anyway, but yeah, so like that's Alexa Pena Vega. She plays um, Shiloh in this movie. Who's like our main character we're following. Uh, we then have Paul Sorvino. He is, he's the main baddie in this movie, but he also did. Um, well, he has since passed away, unfortunately, but he is uh, Mira Sorvino's father. Uh, so queen mira sorvino and so he also was in like he's a character actor so he did like romeo plus juliet he was in cruising he was in the stuff from the 80s he was in goodfellas uh bullworth also he was in the hey arnold movie apparently that's fun but yeah that's what he ended up doing but yeah i mean he's mira sorvino's dad so that's a big thing too um and he stood behind her uh after she came out uh with allegations during the me too movement and everything and he supported his daughter so there you go i like that and then we have um anthony stewart head who plays oh my god what was his name in this movie but like um but he plays the dad he plays shiloh's dad um who was it nathan i think his name was or, or something doesn't matter anyway so he was was that character he's 
obviously very well known for being Giles from Buffy, and I've only dipped my toe in Buffy, but of course he is Giles. He was also in Sweeney Todd, though. He was in The Iron Lady. He was also in Let the Wrong One In as well, which is a movie um, from the same people who did Stitches from back in 2012 about Killer Clown guy. Um, He also, uh, the same director who did that, also directed Let the Wrong One In, which is pretty much like a parody slash like horror comedy about vampires and stuff so it's on shutter um i actually didn't finish it personally i i was watching a little bit of it but it seems like it's fun i, I want to give it another go but he was in that as well it's kind of he's the big star in it because you know he's from buffy the vampire slayer and then we have sarah brightman who is mostly known for being christine from phantom of the opera um she's an opera singer really um it's not like she's a um she's not like a movie singer or anything like that um but she's mostly well known for being in phantom of the opera mostly and i thought she actually did a pretty good job in this movie she plays blind mag and then we have paris hilton as amber sweet she of course is well she's from house of wax 2005 um movie uh which i saw in the theaters uh she's also from being a socialite from the hilton hotels and she's also taco bell spokes lady as well it's fun great um so yeah i love those little taco bell commercials she's in the it's kind of great but anyway so she plays amber sweet she's like the daughter of the largo family um who's just like all wild and crazy whatever and then bill mosley he plays whatever the fuck his name is i don't remember i'm sorry um but he plays one of the brothers the other brother is played by ogre from skinny puppy but uh which i don't listen to that music i don't listen to, i don't even know who that is uh but he plays the other brother but bill mosley to me of course is chop top from tcm2 texas chainsaw massacre 2 but he's also like otis firefly from house of a thousand corpses uh, devil's rejects all of that um he's bill fucking mosley dude like i mean come on i did say in my letterbox review that i appreciate his presence being here but he doesn't save this movie for me really really and truly and also the unfortunate part and again i'm not like i'm not like a tr- uh, like i'm not a musician as a trade or whatever but i am somebody who did spend time singing and doing all that kind of stuff and i do like singing you uh, again i'm not like a voice teacher but uh boy cannot sing to save his life uh, a fair amount of these people don't know how to sing really <laughs> um to be honest alex vega is not very good at singing either unfortunately that sucks but but that's like the big stuff we also have joan jett in a cameo appearance uh, as well that was great i loved that um loved it loved it <laughs> Those, yeah, those are like our big people that we have in the movie, though. Like everybody else is just kind of like random as shit. Yeah, and even like uh, Darren Smith is in like uh, the he's the band leader in one of the songs, which is kind of fun. So good for them. But yeah, uh, generally though, so when we're talking about just like how did this movie come to happen and be right. Um, the big thing we can talk about, so I'll, I'll be pulling um, just from general information that I found, but also there is a Polygon 
article that you can go to uh, titled Repo the Genetic Opera is a gory, disturbing, awful musical that defied all odds by Julia Alexander. Um, and it was done on October 26, 2016. Um, and it was a part of a 13 Days of Halloween series. Um, so they had opinion pieces about different films uh, that exemplify what uh, Halloween means to these uh, authors that did this. So uh, she's quoted as saying, um, in 2004, director Darren Lynn Bowsman so uh, um, to write a wave of horror movies focusing on grotesque boundary pushing imagery with his script for what would be called a become the desperate so he tried to sell the desperate to a couple of studios but he was told that um, it was a little too grisly for a mainstream audience um, this script got into the hands of Lee Winnell and James Wan um, who had just become overnight celebrities because of Saw and they invited Bowsman to actually direct the sequel um, he would hang on to direct the second third and fourth saw movies as i stated already uh, before handing them off to david hack and although he loved working on the movies there was always another pet project that he wanted to launch um, and this was a horror musical set in a dystopian future based on a play he staged in both new york and los angeles and despite his success with the saw franchise and his rapid rise to the top of the chain in the world of horror cinema um, bowsman could not get a studio to finance it makes enough sense and so by 2008 bowsman decided he didn't need the support of lionsgate the same studio that had distributed saw and he actually financed 90 percent of the musical himself taking it on a cost country road trip and handing out flyers to college kids to get them to see the movie um and then the director spent two months self-marketing with very little help from lionsgate and even though the film only grossed one hundred forty-seven thousand dollars, um he succeeded in creating a new iconic um horror rock opera that was just as angry and revenge seeking as he felt at the time which is called repo the genetic opera um so yeah, there's that. Um, Reap of the Genetic Opera was born out of passion, anger, reckless abandon, and a DIY punk attitude that would have made Sid Vicious proud. And the result was a subpar musical... Um, horror musical that has earned an army of devoted fans who reenact it live every Halloween. So... Um, this film takes place in a dystopian future where surgeries are handed out like ice cream cones and personal debt is on the rise as people take out loans to pay for their cosmetic fixes. Yada, yada, yada. We'll talk about all this in a minute. Oh, okay. So there's some, um, I want to talk about just some of the things that she talks about. So, you know, uh, there's three important aspects of repo genetic opera that can be examined to, ex uh, see why this has become the cult film that it has. And so this has to do with the cast, the ambiance and the music. Uh, to start with the cast, so to have a film like Repo be taken seriously, you have to have a stellar cast, no ifs, ands, or buts. And so Bowsman, who was a director who liked to uh, work both with um, classically trained people and also just a variety of interesting people, uh, he viewed Repo as a way to work with some of the most talented people, like Andrew Head um, and also Sarah Brightman, but also iconic figures at the time, like Paris Hilton and Ogre from Skinny Puppy. Um, like I said, I think Anthony Head, Anthony Stewart Head, I think he does a really good job in this, actually, as well. Um, and part of it is uh, the collection of misfits on screen. Uh, much like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, the other horror-based rock opera that can, you know, got cult status, it doesn't emphasize one actor or musician being better than the rest, but that's because they all ranged uh, from everything. It's important to remember that Bowsman didn't really receive much um, 
from Lionsgate to help finance this movie. And it's pretty obvious when you're watching it. Um, so the sets aren't up to par with other horror movies. Uh, the costumes are obviously cheap and the effects are uh, more comical than they are scary. However, the cast of repo um, does a good job with what there um, is available to them to just turn this dystopian future into something that's terrifying. And it's pretty gory for a musical, but the actual horror is in the message of addiction and reliance on um, plastic surgery and huge financial loans um, that the cast is able to uh, drive home. Also, it, just the ambiance and attitude of this movie. Um, this is a good little uh, article. This is why I'm talking about it. But, like, uh, it's a gift for the goths, apparently, which I think is cute. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it's got cyberpunk elements, as I stated earlier. But it really feels like it was made by auth- gothy art kids uh, for other gothy art kids. And even Bowsman said in Filmmaker Magazine in 2008 that um, the film was made specifically with that audience in mind. Um, he's quoted as saying the movie appeals to the fringe. It appeals to the gothy outside the box crowd, the gay crowd, the theater crowd. Bowsman says, um, whether you're a teenager and looking for a piece of art that connects with how you're feeling, um, what you're going through or mirrors back the image you're, um, going for, um, you know, there's no better way than finding it, um, with finding it. Um, so yeah, looking at the cult status is built for itself. Um, this author wasn't the only one who felt this way um, and just felt like, you know, they had this goth phase. Um, they weren't relying on the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, which was is still like the queen of rock operas, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, horror rock operas. Uh, Repo, I guess, felt like... I feel like it probably felt like this was Rocky Horror for these folks. And also the soundtrack as well. Um, so... It's less of a horror movie than it is a musical. Um, so naturally it had to have a soundtrack that backed that up. And yeah, I, I think like there is some like there is some good music in there. Again, I guess your mileage will vary with it. Um I will just say though, so if anything, okay, yeah, so this is the end of the article, but um We'll quote the uh, this author is quoted as saying, "So Repo the Genetic Opera is an f- odd film that should have never been created. Um, that never should have been created. Uh, but as Halloween edges closer and uh, she plans out a marathon, um, she can't help but search for her copy of Repo. Uh, it's a trash fire of ideas, and although somebody probably should have stopped Bowsman from financing it himself, especially considering the return on investment, um, this author is thankful that every year that this uh, magical gothy trash fire exists. And I think that's kind of a great way of looking at it in a way. <laughs> Um, so shout out um, to the Polygon article I just <laughs> talked about, but it's kind of true because like, I think this movie does like, you know, it fits for a certain uh, subsect of people. Um, and I think that's why it has this cult following to it. And it's something that, you know, for all intents and purposes, I guess it succeeded to have like at least this cult following and people still, there are some people who really, really like it. You know, it may have not done well financially, obviously, but you know, who gives a shit, whatever to talk a little bit about the development of it though. So um, in 1996, Darren Smith, I mentioned earlier, um, he had a friend who was going through bankruptcy and whose possessions were going into foreclosure. 
And he was inspired by this um, to come up with the idea of a future where not only one's property, but one's body parts could also be repossessed. So um, him and Terrence Adonich, um, they collaborated ideas. Uh, they met in an acting class. And so they collaborated ideas and plot lines to create the first version of Repo, which was called The Necro Merchant's Debt, which told the story of a grave robber in debt to a Repo organ man. This premiered at the John Raitt Theater in 2002. And after becoming such a success, Smith and Zodunich, uh, they expanded on the universe to create all the storylines that would end up becoming Repo the Genetic Opera later in 2002. So many changes were made gradually to the characters and music throughout various incarnations through 2005. For example, Roddy in the earlier versions was not father to Luigi, Pavi, and um, Amber, but instead he was a younger brother to Luigi and Pavi, while Amber was Luigi's daughter. Lyrics were adjusted to new arcs, and some dro- um, songs were dropped entirely, um, such as But This Is Opera, which was cut out in an effort to change the direction of Mag's character. Um, and then after years of being performed as a stage play, Repo was adapted into a 10-minute short film, which was directed and financed by Darren Lynn Bowsman um, to pitch two studios. And so it actually had Shawnee Smith in it as Amber Sweet, Michael Rooker as the Repo Man, uh, a couple different things. And... It did end up getting, again, it had the eight and a half million dollars behind it. Uh, Once it got picked up by Lionsgate, um, principal photography began in September 2007 in Canada. And it was scheduled to be released on August 20th or April 25th, 2008, but it was pushed back to November 7th, as I stated. Um, So there was that. And then the release of this, it had a limited release in the U.S. and Canada. Um, It had a further limited Canada release as well. Um, It was released in the Czech Republic and also in Spain. And also in December 2008, several more U.S. theatrical screenings were announced. Um, And it also had the Repo Road Tour as well in Europe. So after initial theatrical releases and DVD sales, um, fan support has caused Repo of uh, the Genetic Opera to be played in select cinemas uh, for the duration of 2009 and well into 2014, um, some with shadow casts in which a group of actors and performers reenact the film in front of the big screen while the film is playing in the background, much like Rocky Horror. Um, and there was also um, a screening at San Diego Comic-Con International in 2010. Um, and it was released on um, DVD and Blu-ray in 2009, January 2009 as well. So you can find it there. And if anything, so uh, the consensus for this film, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is bombastic and intentionally gross. Repo the genetic opera has a unique style, but lacks the wit and substance to be involving. Um, And some of the people who are um, critics, they've said, so Kyle Smith from the New York Post concluded, there probably aren't enough futuristic goth uh, rock musicals, but Repo the genetic opera is weak on a couple of things, a musical needs, music and lyrics. Nathan Lee for the New York Times declared, that um, the film, quote, feels destined to please a campy uh, coteer of fans and no one else, and criticized the music, saying, quote, a few catchy melodies, some clever lyrics, or even a sense that the score wasn't just one long, unmodulated track might have energized the singularly inert tale. And Tasha Robinson from the AV Club said one of the main issues with Repo the Genetic Opera is that nearly every aspect of it goes on too long. The songs were genuine, generally 
generally overextended, which is a particular problem given that most of them are also atonal and dull, either chanted or seemingly assembled from a series of clunky, ill-fitting, barely rhyming lines. And ultimately, um, I spent the vast majority of the film either bored or squirming with discomfort over the cheap gore, the arrhythmic songs, and the phenomenally bombastic performances. And so there was that. Um, (laughs) And then also, Paris Hilton won a raspberry for her worst uh, supporting actress at the 29th annual World Golden Raspberry Awards, the Razzies. And then also some songs like Chase the Morning, Chromagia, and Zydrate Anatomy were shortlisted for the Academy Award for Best Original Song, although none of them were nominated. I wonder why. Anyway, so... But that's a little bit about the movie as a whole of how it came to be, if you will. Um, so that's a little bit about that. Um, but let's get into a bit of a plot, right? Like, let's let's talk about this a little bit. What is this movie actually about? Now, if I had to like say what this fucking movie is about, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the actual plot in a minute. But like, if I had to give an elevator pitch, pretty much what it's about is it's about um, a dystopian future where obviously um, organs and organ organs and plastic surgery have become commodified and become something where you know um, people really want all of it and so pretty much there's a girl and her dad I don't even know how to explain it really I'm trying to do my best but pretty much girl and her dad girl feels like she's a teenager and she's like fucking trying to find out more about like her life and trying to break away and rebel from her father her father has like a deep dark secret that he doesn't want her to find out um and you know just some shit goes down I guess uh you know it's pretty much it from what I can gather but let's actually talk about what this is um so by the year 2056 an epidemic of organ failures has devastated the planet and wiped out 99% of the human population the mega corporation Geneco provides organs on a payment plan and clients who miss payments are hunted down by repo men uh, skilled assassins who quote repossess the organs and we have genetic repo man as one of the songs talking about this the CEO CEO of Geneco, Roddy Largo, discovers he is terminally ill. Roddy's children, Luigi, um, Luigi played by Bill Mosley, Pavi played by Ogre from Skinny Puppy, and Amber um, played by uh, Paris Hilton, uh, they bicker over who will inherit Geneco. Um, this is the Mark It Up song, but Roddy believes none of them are worthy heirs and instead plans to give his fortune to 17 year old Shiloh Wallace, played by Alexa Vega Pe- uh, Pena Vega. Um, the daughter of his late ex-fiancee, Marnie. Um, and this is the song, Things You See in a Graveyard, that shows up. And remember, this is a rock opera, so they're singing throughout this. Anyway, Shiloh has inherited a rare blood disease from Marnie that requires her to stay indoors, though she longs to see the outside world. The song Infected comes through. And so Shiloh's overprotective father, Nathan, I got it, uh, played by Anthony Stewart Head, uh, believes he accidentally killed Marnie with a treatment he created for her illness. In truth, a jealous Roddy secretly poisoned Marnie's medicine and blackmailed Nathan, promising not to arrest him if he agreed to become Jinko's head repo man. Um, though he has convinced Shiloh he's a doctor. This legal assassin is where that song comes in. One night, Shiloh secretly visits Marnie's tomb and runs into the um, omni omniscient um, 
grave robber, played by Terrence Zdunich, um, who is digging up bodies to secrete Zydrate, a euphoric and addictive painkiller that he sells on the street to keep up with his Jinko payments. Um, and this is where 21st Century Cure comes in as a song. Roddy lures um, Shiloh to Jinko's fair with the promise of a cure for her disease, and there she meets Blind Mag, played by Sarah Brightman, an opera singer and Jinko's celebrity spokesperson. Born blind, Mag has been given um, surgically enhanced eyes by Jinko at the cost of indefinite employment, though she is soon resigning. And Grave Robber helps um, Shiloh escape the fairgrounds, encountering several of his um, customers, um, including the surgery addicted Amber. Um, and this is Zydrate Anatomy, which is like the most well known song in this movie. Um, Shiloh learns that Mag's eyes are set for repossession and that Amber will replace her as Jinko's spokeswoman. And after Jinko cops um gene cops um, arrive shiloh quickly returns to her room before nathan notices her missing and so roddy hires nathan to repossess mag's eyes but nathan refuses citing that mag was marnie's best friend and this is the night surgeon song i'm um, an infuriated roddy vows to have nathan taken out and mag visits shiloh and reveals that she is her godmother and that nathan had told her shiloh died with marnie and uh she cautions shiloh to not make the same mistakes that she did chase the morning is the song that comes in and nathan arrives and forces mag out before she uh, after she scolds him for lying and incarcerating shiloh and everyone's a composer is the the song that's here meanwhile roddy writes his will ready to make shiloh his sole beneficiary and this is the gold song um anyway so then roddy invites shiloh to the opera at the opera tonight is the song that comes in and nathan heads to the opera to find her pursued by Gene Cops. I like that. Um, who he um, quickly dispatches. Amber makes her stage debut, but her performance is ruined when her transplanted face falls off. And Mag completes her final performance, but deviates from the song's grand finale, denouncing the Largo family and gouging her eyes out in an act of defiance. And that's Chromagia. Um, Roddy rips the cords, suspending Mag, impaling her on a fence, but assures that the panicking audience that Mag's death was staged as part of the show. And then Shiloh is approached by a repo man and attacks him with a shovel, revealing that he is Nathan, and she angrily confronts Nathan for lying to her about his profession. Um, this is where the song Let the Monster Rise comes in. And on stage, uh, Roddy reveals that Nathan has been poisoning Shiloh's, quote, medicine in an attempt to keep her safe from the outside world after being unable to cope with the loss of Marnie. So a little, you know, uh, Munchausen by proxy um, going on. And as his disease rapidly worsens, Roddy offers Shiloh Jinko if she kills her father. When she refuses, Roddy uses the last of his strength to fatally shoot Nathan and dies after disowning his children and after a tearful farewell to her father um in the song i didn't know i love you so much um shiloh leaves deciding that her father's actions do not dictate her future and this is where the song genetic emancipation comes through um and shiloh flees leaving jinko with no legal heir um amber as a result inherits the um company instead and auctions her fallen face to charity which Pavi wins after luigi kills the th- top three bidders and so that is in a nutshell the actual um you know plot of the movie if you will so yeah i mean like there's just a lot going on in 98 minutes for this movie 
truly. Um, you know, and, and I feel like that's the thing about this movie is that it is already a rock opera. So they're singing throughout the whole thing, which is fine. I understand that with what's going on, but I do think like, if anything, they just, they, they shoved a lot in here. Okay. They just did. <laughs> and it's hard to kind of like parse through it all. Plus they also, um, put in like some random ass, like, cartoon um not cartoon like comic book um kind of inserts to to flesh out the story a little bit more um which again i i think some people just think it's a little weird um and yeah i i mean and also i feel like a lot of these characters are very surface if you will i don't know how deep they get uh, again some of the performances like i do think anthony stewart head does a good job as nathan um he's kind of over the top and whatever but i, I don't mind it i i kind of didn't mind watching him or even like sarah brightman like i i liked watching her in a way now alexa vega i mean you know she was 20 by the time she was probably 19 when she did this so you know I mean, if anything, she feels like a teenager. She's supposed to be 17, so she's not that far off. But, like, I don't know. It felt very one note to me, if you will. Um, and even, like, you know, and even, like, Amber. Like, Amber, again, it's a sort of one note, but there's not much to it. But just having Paris Hilton there, I think, also. And apparently Paris Hilton was actually, like, um, you know, she apparently kind of helped um, get this movie, like, completed, if you will. Um like, cause I think they ran out of financing and she was actually able to do like a club appearance apparently to help pay for it because she was actually really behind it, you know? And, and again, it, it's a, it's something similar to like the house of wax movie, you know, where people know who she is and they know her from it. And so I don't know. And, and some people they're just like, Oh hell yeah. Like, you know, let's watch this movie where her face falls off, you know, why not? You know? And like Bill Mosley, like you can tell he's like, just chewing the scenery just works for him. And that is just like what he's doing, obviously. But yeah, I mean, but I think if anything, like, uh, I don't know this, this movie to me, if anything, it, it's just a, um, I, I don't know. I, I did not, uh, absolutely love it and it's funny because of like you know why would you cover a movie that you didn't like um i mean whatever i can cover what i want and i do think that this movie does have a cult following which is exactly why i would cover it however you know it just was not my favorite necessarily um i think what it has going for it if anything because i could go on about just like what i don't like about it um, but i'm not going to do that really i already kind of said that but i mean like i said earlier with what i think this movie does well i think it has a really cool aesthetic and it does have a very specific aesthetic which is fine um it's very much made for people on the fringe you know for the goths and for like you know uh those kinds of folk so you know i, I definitely think there's that i don't know about the gays necessarily i don't know how there are some people and i haven't found like specific articles or anything but there are some people who kind of see like amber is like a little bit transcoded if you will which i mean i can kind of see it maybe a little bit you know i get it but um but part of it is like you know but then also like i've also also heard a little bit about like was is terrence adonis like a little bit like homophobic i don't know i don't i don't know if he is actually i don't actually i don't have anything to say about that but you know, it's just one of those things where um, I think it has a cool aesthetic. Um, I I like that part. There are some songs that are kind of like 
earworms and like you know sort of fun to listen to i mean zydrate anatomy is really pretty good um and then also like um yeah there's a couple of them that are are just like you know oh that's like a fun little catchy song or whatever but um but yeah, it doesn't always work for like a complete opera necessarily. And you could really dig into that if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, I think that's what it has going for it is that, yes, yeah, some of the music is cool. Uh, it's fine. You know, it's all right. Um, I think the aesthetic is, is interesting too. It is very much that. And I'm always down for a movie that has a certain aesthetic to it. And then it commits, you know, I'm always down for a movie that commits. And I'll think if anything that this movie does commit to what it's trying to do. I just feel like it's very just bloated and it's a little bit just like trying to do a little too much. And, um, it just doesn't make you, it doesn't make me want to rewatch it necessarily. Um, truly, but I think, you know, it seemed like, if anything, to me, you know, it, it has this, like, if anything, I'm happy that, like, someone like Darren Lynn Bowsman, if anything, I'm glad he was able to at least get something off the ground that he believed in and that he was able to give, um, even if the guy is a creep a little bit, um, even with that, like, was able to give something and able to put something that he believed in and was able to help, you know, uh, Terrence Dunnich and, you know, Darren Smith to be able to help them kind of launch their careers, if you will. Um, cause I, I think it's safe to say that yes, it absolutely did. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying that I'm trying to see if there's anything, um, else there's also, um, thoughts from the bench. Um, they did an article from AK Moorhead is who did this is a blogger and they talk about uh, a cult classic repo, the genetic opera. And they talk about their, um, thoughts about and they actually really like this movie apparently too which is super great so if you want to get a positive if you want to get a positive um you know opinion on it you can always go here there there are some stuff there are some articles you're able to find about this um that again are about from people who (laughs) that are from people who talk about you know oh this is the movie this is a movie that means something to me in some way. Um, and all that kind of good stuff is fine. (laughs) Um, yeah. What else is there? Oh my gosh. Oh, also there's this other, um, article as well. There is <laughs> Repo the Genetic Opera is the hot mess America deserves right now. This was done by Emma Ambrose in February of 2021. I might give that a list. I'm going to give that a read. I was on film cred. So, um, again, I'm just shouting out like um, reporters as well because I don't have much to say about this movie, to be honest with you. I did want to like, you know, cover it and I, I'm glad I did. I think it is worth talking about if anything um because it has it's been able to uh it has been able to carve out this little niche for peop for itself of these people who like the movie you know and who stand behind it there's also the people who like the devil's carnival and hallelujah the devil's carnival as well um so there's also those people as well and so um you know, but it starts with repo, if anything. And, and again, 
I am I am just somebody who I do like some musicals, but I'm not like the be all end all about them either. So, you know, take that with what you want. But I think if anything, this movie has carved out a niche for its for its um, cult members, for its you know fans, and everything, which is cool. I'm, I'm never gonna. I'm never going to judge a movie for doing that, if anything. Like, you know, it's none of my business. Um, even if I don't like your movie that much, like, you know, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to hate on something that people like, you know, or, or whatever it is. Um, so there's that. Um, you can find this... Um, so I watched it on Roku channel. Um, I personally wouldn't pay to watch this, so I would just try to find it free somewhere. It does make the rounds on Tubi every so often, so you can probably find it there. You're never really going to find it on like a, a major. You're never going to find it on like a major streaming service of like you know um, that you'd probably have to pay for necessarily. I think it tends to make the rounds on like like I said Roku, um, maybe Pluto as well, and then also Tubi. I've seen it on Tubi before, so you can definitely find it there when it. it um, when the license goes to that site, obviously. Um, but if anything, you know, I would at least give it a watch. You know, I, I think if you've never seen it before, I think it's at least worth the one watch and you can kind of decide whether you like it or not. Um, I myself will probably not be, can you know, be watching it again. Um, but I would say at least to give it a watch once. Um, it's horror themed. There's some music stuff in there and, and, you know, it's celebrating 15 years and, and that always gets me a little, um, in a weird way, nostalgic. Cause it makes me think of when I was a teenager and just the things I was into, what was I doing back then, which was just watching movies and shit. And so, um, that's why I also thought to do this episode too. Cause why not? This is something I've, I, I've been aware of it for a very long time. And even if I'm not a super duper fan of it, right. I still just want to, you know, I still want to do the job that I, I want to do the job in, in talking about this movie that has been able to carve out this cult status and um really be able to to make something that you know if anything it's i think it's successfully done what it wanted to do if anything i think it wanted to be this like out there musical and um and it was something that was made by these guys and depending on you know uh barring what i feel about either of them or or whatever it is or just their conduct you know i i feel like if anything like i'll I'll at least say like hey you know what you're you're following what you want to do and that's super cool but uh that was long-winded response was really much me saying hey you know what go watch it for free and make your own decision of whether you'd want to watch it again or not um but yeah and also happy birthday happy belated birthday to to repo the genetic opera so um give it a watch see how you like it and you know what at least hopefully you probably haven't paid for it so if you hate it then hopefully you have paid for it and if you love it then hey maybe you'll have something to watch every year if you want as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com in case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at cultcinemacircle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at cultcinemacircle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's 
there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews. I'll log what I'm watching. And then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast where I'll be covering 1993's Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit. Dolores Van Cartier is again asked to don the nun's habit to help a rundown Catholic school presided over by Mother Superior. And if trying to reach out to a class full of uninterested students isn't bad enough, the sisters discover that the school is due to be closed by the unscrupulous chief of a local authority. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. Take care. Bye.